Chapter Seven, Part Two of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in August two thousand nineteen. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell, Chapter Seven, Part Two. Changes in the position of land and sea may give rise to vicissitudes in climate. Having offered these brief remarks on the diffusion of heat over the globe in the present state of the surface, I shall now proceed to speculate on the vicissitudes of climate, which must attend those endless variations in the geographical features of our planet which are contemplated in geology that our speculations may be confined within the strict limits of analogy i shall assume first that the proportion of dry land to sea continues always the same secondly that the volume of the land rising above the level of the sea is a constant quantity and not only that its mean but that its extreme height is liable only to trifling variations thirdly that both the mean and extreme depth of the sea are invariable and fourthly it may be consistent with due caution to assume that the grouping together of the land in continents is a necessary part of the economy of nature for it is possible that the laws which govern the subterranean forces and which act simultaneously along certain lines cannot but produce at every epoch continuous mountain chains so that the subdivision of the whole land into innumerable islands may be precluded if it be objected that the maximum of elevation of land and depth of sea are probably not constant nor the gathering together of all the land in certain parts nor even perhaps the relative extent of land and water i reply that the arguments about to be adduced will be strengthened if in these peculiarities of the surface there be considerable deviations from the present type if for example all other circumstances being the same the land is at one time more divided into islands than at another a greater uniformity of climate might be produced the mean temperature remaining unaltered or if at another era there were mountains higher than the himalaya these when placed in high latitudes would cause a greater excess of cold or if we suppose that at certain periods no chain of hills in the world rose beyond the height of ten thousand feet a greater heat might then have prevailed than is compatible with the existence of mountains thrice that elevation however constant may be the relative proportion of sea and land we know that there is annually some small variation in their respective geographical positions and that in every century the land is in some parts raised and in others depressed in level and so likewise is the bed of the sea by these and other ceaseless changes the configuration of the earth's surface has been remodelled again and again since it was the habitation of organic beings and the bed of the ocean has been lifted up to the height of some of the loftiest mountains the imagination is apt to take alarm when called upon to admit the formation of such irregularities in the crust of the earth after it had once become the habitation of living creatures 
but if time be allowed the operation need not subvert the ordinary repose of nature and the result is in a general view insignificant if we consider how slightly the highest mountain chains cause our globe to differ from a perfect sphere chimborazo though it rises to more than twenty one thousand feet above the sea would be represented on a globe of about six feet in diameter by a grain of sand less than one twentieth of an inch in thickness the superficial inequalities of the earth then may be deemed minute in quantity and their distribution at any particular epoch must be regarded in geology as temporary peculiarities like the height and outline of the cone of vesuvius in the interval between two eruptions but although in reference to the magnitude of the globe the unevenness of the surface is so unimportant it is on the position and direction of these small inequalities that the state of the atmosphere and both the local and general climate are mainly dependent before considering the effect which a material change in the distribution of land and sea must occasion it may be well to remark how greatly organic life may be affected by those minor variations which need not in the least degree alter the general temperature thus for example if we suppose by a series of convulsions a certain part of greenland to become sea and in compensation a tract of land to rise and connect spitzbergen with lapland an accession not greater in amount than one which the geologist can prove to have occurred in certain districts bordering the mediterranean within a comparatively modern period this altered form of the land might cause an interchange between the climate of certain parts of north america and of europe which lie in corresponding latitudes many european species of plants and animals would probably perish in consequence because the mean temperature would be greatly lowered and others would fail in america because it would there be raised on the other hand in places where the mean annual heat remained unaltered some species which flourish in europe where the seasons are more uniform would be unable to resist the greater heat of the north american summer or the intenser cold of the winter while others now fitted by their habitats for the great contrast of the american seasons would not be fitted for the insular climate of europe the vine for example according to humboldt can be cultivated with advantage ten degrees farther north in europe than in north america many plants endure severe frost but cannot ripen their seeds without a certain intensity of summer heat and a certain quantity of light others cannot endure a similar intensity either of heat or cold it is now established that many of the existing species of animals have survived great changes in the physical geography of the globe if such species be termed modern in comparison to races which preceded them their remains nevertheless enter into submarine deposits many hundred miles in length and which have since been raised from the deep to no inconsiderable altitude when therefore it is shown that changes in the temperature of the atmosphere may be the consequence of such physical revolutions of the surface we ought no longer to wonder that we find the distribution of existing species to be local in regard to longitude as well as latitude 
if all species were now by an exertion of creative power to be diffused uniformly throughout those zones where there is an equal degree of heat and in all respects a similarity of climate they would begin from this moment to depart more and more from their original distribution aquatic and terrestrial species would be displaced as hook long ago observed so often as land and water exchanged places and there would also by the formation of new mountains and other changes be transpositions of climate contributing in the manner before alluded to to the local extermination of species if we now proceed to consider the circumstances required for a general change of temperature it will appear from the facts and principles already laid down that whenever a greater extent of high land is collected in the polar regions the cold will augment and the same result will be produced when there is more sea between or near the tropics while on the contrary so often as the above conditions are reversed the heat will be greater if this be admitted it will follow that unless the superficial inequalities of the earth be fixed and permanent there must be never-ending fluctuations in the mean temperature of every zone and that the climate of one era can no more be a type of every other than is one of our four seasons of all the rest it has been well said that the earth is covered by an ocean in the midst of which are two great islands and many smaller ones for the whole of the continents and islands occupy an area scarcely exceeding one-fourth of the whole superficies of the spheroid now according to this analogy we may fairly speculate on the probability that there would not be usually at any given epoch of the past more than about one-fourth dry land in a particular region as for example near the poles or between them and the seventy-fifth parallels of north and south latitude if therefore at present there should happen to be in both these quarters of the globe much more than this average proportion of land some of it in the arctic region being above five thousand feet in height and if in antarctic latitudes a mountainous country has been found varying from four thousand to fourteen thousand feet in height this alone affords ground for concluding that in the present state of things the mean heat of the climate is below that which the earth's surface in its more ordinary state would enjoy this presumption is heightened when we reflect on the results of the recent soundings made by sir james ross in the southern ocean and continued for four successive years ending eighteen forty four which seem to prove that the mean depth of the atlantic and pacific is as great as laplace and other eminent astronomers had imagined for then we might look not only for more than two-thirds sea in the frigid zones but for water of great depth which could not readily be reduced to the freezing point the same opinion is confirmed when we compare the quantity of land lying between the poles and the thirtieth parallels of north and south latitude with the quantity placed between those parallels and the equator for it is clear that we have at present not only more than the usual degree of cold in the polar regions but also less than the average quantity of heat within the tropics 
position of land and sea which might produce the extreme of cold of which the earth's surface is susceptible to simplify our view of the various changes in climate which different combinations of geographical circumstances may produce we shall first consider the conditions necessary for bringing about the extreme of cold or what would have been termed in the language of the old writers the winter of the great year or geological cycle and afterwards the conditions requisite to produce the maximum of heat or the summer of the same year to begin with the northern hemisphere let us suppose those hills of the italian peninsula and of sicily which are of comparatively modern origin and contain many fossil shells identical with living species to subside again into the sea from which they have been raised and that an extent of land of equal area and height varying from one to three thousand feet should rise up in the arctic ocean between siberia and the north pole in speaking of such changes i shall not allude to the manner in which i conceive it possible that they may be brought about nor of the time required for their accomplishment reserving for a future occasion not only the proofs that revolutions of equal magnitude have taken place but that analogous operations are still in gradual progress the alteration now supposed in the physical geography of the northern regions would cause additional snow and ice to accumulate where now there is usually an open sea and the temperature of the greater part of europe would be somewhat lowered so as to resemble more nearly that of corresponding latitudes of north america or in other words it might be necessary to travel about ten degrees farther south in order to meet with the same climate which we now enjoy no compensation would be derived from the disappearance of land in the mediterranean countries but the contrary since the mean heat of the soil in those latitudes probably exceeds that which would belong to the sea by which we imagine it to be replaced but let the configuration of the surface be still farther varied and let some large district within or near the tropics such as brazil with its plains and hills of moderate height be converted into sea while lands of equal elevation and extent rise up in the arctic circle from these change there would in the first place result a sensible diminution of temperature near the tropic for the brazilian soil would no longer be heated by the sun so that the atmosphere would be less warm as also the neighboring atlantic on the other hand the whole of europe northern asia and north america would be chilled by the enormous quantity of ice and snow thus generated on the new arctic continent if as we have already seen there are now some points in the southern hemisphere where snow is perpetual down to the level of the sea in latitudes as low as central england such might assuredly be the case throughout a great part of europe under the change of circumstances above supposed and if at present the extreme range of drifted icebergs is the azores they might easily reach the equator after the assumed alteration but to pursue the subject still farther let the himalaya mountains with the whole of hindustan sink down and their place be occupied by the indian ocean while an equal extent of territory and mountains of the same vast height rise up between north greenland and the orkney islands 
it seems difficult to exaggerate the amount to which the climate of the northern hemisphere would then be cooled but the refrigeration brought about at the same time in the southern hemisphere would be nearly equal and the difference of temperature between the arctic and equatorial latitudes would not be much greater than at present for no important disturbance can occur in the climate of a particular region without its immediately affecting all other latitudes however remote the heat and cold which surround the globe are in a state of constant and universal flux and reflux the heated and rarefied air is always rising and flowing from the equator towards the poles in the higher regions of the atmosphere while in the lower the colder air is flowing back to restore the equilibrium that this circulation is constantly going on in the aerial currents is not disputed it is often proved by the opposite course of the clouds at different heights and the fact has been farther illustrated in a striking manner by two recent events the trade wind continually blows with great force from the island of barbados to that of st vincent notwithstanding which during the eruption of the volcano in the island of st vincent in eighteen twelve ashes fell in profusion from a great height in the atmosphere upon barbados in like manner during the great eruption of sumbawa in eighteen fifteen ashes were carried to the islands of amboina and banda which last is about eight hundred miles east from the site of the volcano yet the southeast monsoon was then at its height this apparent transposition of matter against the wind confirmed the opinion of the existence of a counter-current in the higher regions which had previously rested on theoretical conclusions only that a corresponding interchange takes place in the seas is demonstrated according to humboldt by the cold which is found to exist at great depths within the tropics and among other proofs may be mentioned the mass of warmer water which the gulf stream is constantly bearing northwards while a cooler current flows from the north along the coast of greenland and labrador and helps to restore the equilibrium currents of colder and therefore specifically heavier water pass from the poles towards the equator which cool the inferior parts of the ocean so that the heat of the torrid zone and the cold of the polar circle balance each other the refrigeration therefore of the polar regions resulting from the supposed alteration in the distribution of land and sea would be immediately communicated to the tropics and from them its influence would extend to the antarctic circle where the atmosphere and the ocean would be cooled so that ice and snow would augment although the mean temperature of higher latitudes in the southern hemisphere is as before stated for the most part lower than that of the same parallels in the northern yet for a considerable space on each side of the line the mean annual heat of the waters is found to be the same in corresponding parallels if therefore by the new position of the land the formation of icebergs had become of common occurrence in the northern temperate zone and if these were frequently drifted as far as the equator the same degree of cold which they generated would immediately be communicated as far as the tropic of capricorn and from thence to the lands or ocean to the south 
the freedom then of the circulation of heat and cold from pole to pole being duly considered it will be evident that the mean temperature which may prevail at the same point at two distinct periods may differ far more widely than that of any two points in the same parallels of latitude at one and the same period for the range of temperature or in other words the curvature of the isothermal lines in a given zone and at a given period must always be circumscribed within narrow limits the climate of each place in that zone being controlled by the combined influence of the geographical peculiarities of all other parts of the earth whereas if we compare the state of things at two distinct and somewhat distant epochs a particular zone may at one time be under the influence of one class of disturbing causes and at another time may be affected by an opposite combination the lands for example to the north of greenland cause the present climate of north america to be colder than that of europe in the same latitudes but the excess of cold is not so great as it would have been if the western hemisphere had been entirely isolated or separated from the eastern like a distinct planet for not only does the refrigeration produced by greenland chill to a certain extent the atmosphere of northern and western europe but the mild climate of europe reacts also upon north america and moderates the chilling influence of the adjoining polar lands to return to the state of the earth after the changes above supposed we must not omit to dwell on the important effects to which a wide expanse of perpetual snow would give rise it is probable that nearly the whole sea from the poles to the parallels of forty five degrees would be frozen over for it is well known that the immediate proximity of land is not essential to the formation and increase of field ice provided there be in some part of the same zone a sufficient quantity of glaciers generated on or near the land to cool down the sea captain scoresby in his account of the arctic regions observes that when the sun's rays fall upon the snow-clad surface of the ice or land they are in a great measure reflected without producing any material elevation of temperature but when they impinge on the black exterior of a ship the pitch on one side occasionally becomes fluid while ice is rapidly generated at the other now field ice is almost always covered with snow and thus not only land as extensive as our existing continents but immense tracts of sea in the frigid and temperate zones might present a solid surface covered with snow and reflecting the sun's rays for the greater part of the year within the tropics moreover where the ocean now predominates the sky would no longer be serene and clear as in the present era but masses of floating ice would cause quick condensations of vapour so that fogs and clouds would deprive the vertical rays of the sun of half their power the whole planet therefore would receive annually a smaller portion of the solar influence and the external crust would part by radiation with some of the heat which had been accumulated in it during a different state of the surface this heat would be dissipated in the spaces surrounding our atmosphere which according to the calculations of m fourier have a temperature much inferior to that of freezing water 
after the geographical revolution above assumed the climate of equinoctial lands might be brought at last to resemble that of the present temperate zone or perhaps be far more wintry they who should then inhabit such small isles and coral reefs as are now seen in the indian ocean and south pacific would wonder that zoophytes of large dimensions had once been so prolific in their seas or if perchance they found the wood and fruit of the coconut tree or the palm silicified by the waters of some ancient mineral spring or encrusted with calcareous matter they would muse on the revolutions which had annihilated such genera and replaced them by the oak the chestnut and the pine with equal admiration would they compare the skeletons of their small lizards with the bones of fossil alligators and crocodiles more than twenty feet in length which at a former epoch had multiplied between the tropics and when they saw a pine included in an iceberg drifted from latitudes which we now call temperate they would be astonished at the proof thus afforded that forests had once grown where nothing could be seen in their own times but a wilderness of snow if the reader hesitate to suppose so extensive an alteration of temperature as the probable consequence of geographical changes confined to one hemisphere he should remember how great are the local anomalies in climate now resulting from the peculiar distribution of land and sea in certain regions thus in the island of south georgia before mentioned captain cook found the everlasting snows descending to the level of the seas between latitude fifty four and fifty five degrees south no trees or shrubs were to be seen and in summer a few rocks only after a partial melting of the ice and snow were scantily covered with moss and tufts of grass if such a climate can now exist at the level of the sea in a latitude corresponding to that of yorkshire in spite of all those equalizing causes before enumerated by which the mixture of the temperatures of distant regions is facilitated throughout the globe what rigours might we not anticipate in a winter generated by the transfer of the mountains of india to our arctic circle but we have still to contemplate the additional refrigeration which might be effected by changes in the relative position of land and sea in the southern hemisphere if the remaining continents were transferred from the equatorial and contiguous latitudes to the south polar regions the intensity of cold produced might perhaps render the globe uninhabitable we are too ignorant of the laws governing the direction of subterranean forces to determine whether such a crisis be within the limits of possibility at the same time it may be observed that no distribution of land can well be imagined more irregular or as it were capricious than that which now prevails for at present the globe may be divided into two equal parts in such a manner that one hemisphere shall be almost entirely covered with water while the other shall contain less water than land and what is still more extraordinary on comparing the extra-tropical lands in the northern and southern hemispheres the lands in the northern are found to be to those in the southern in the proportion of thirteen to one to imagine all the lands therefore in high and all the sea in low latitudes as delineated in figure six 
would scarcely be a more anomalous state of the surface position of land and sea which might give rise to the extreme of heat let us now turn from the contemplation of the winter of the great year and consider the opposite train of circumstances which would bring on the spring and summer to imagine all the lands to be collected together in equatorial latitudes and a few promontories only to project beyond the thirtieth parallel as represented in the annexed maps would be undoubtedly to suppose an extreme result of geological change but if we consider a mere approximation to such a state of things it would be sufficient to cause a general elevation of temperature nor can it be regarded as a visionary idea that amidst the revolutions of the earth's surface the quantity of land should at certain periods have been simultaneously lessened in the vicinity of both the poles and increased within the tropics we must recollect that even now it is necessary to ascend to the height of fifteen thousand feet in the andes under the line and in the himalaya mountains which are without the tropic to seventeen thousand feet before we reach the limit of perpetual snow on the northern slope indeed of the himalaya range where the heat radiated from a great continent moderates the cold there are meadows and cultivated land at an elevation equal to the height of mont blanc if then there were no arctic lands to chill the atmosphere and freeze the sea and if the loftiest chains were near the line it seems reasonable to imagine that the highest mountains might be clothed with a rich vegetation to their summits and that nearly all signs of frost would disappear from the earth when the absorption of the solar rays was in no region impeded even in winter by a coat of snow the mean heat of the earth's crust would augment to considerable depths and springs which we know to be in general an index of the mean temperature of the climate would be warmer in all latitudes the waters of lakes therefore and rivers would be much hotter in winter and would be never chilled in summer by melted snow and ice a remarkable uniformity of climate would prevail amid the archipelagos of the temperate and polar oceans where the tepid waters of equatorial currents would freely circulate the general humidity of the atmosphere would far exceed that of the present period for increased heat would promote evaporation in all parts of the globe the winds would be first heated in their passage over the tropical plains and would then gather moisture from the surface of the deep till charged with vapour they arrived at extreme northern and southern regions and there encountering a cooler atmosphere discharged their burden in warm rain if during the long night of a polar winter the snows should whiten the summits of some arctic islands they would be dissolved as rapidly by the returning sun as are the snows of etna by the blasts of the shirocco we learn from those who have studied the geographical distribution of plants that in very low latitudes at present the vegetation of small islands remote from continents has a peculiar character the ferns and allied families in particular bearing a great proportion to the total number of other plants other circumstances being the same the more remote the isles are from the continents the greater does this proportion become 
thus in the continent of india and the tropical parts of new holland the proportion of ferns to the phenogamous plants is only as one to twenty-six whereas in the south sea islands it is as one to four or even as one to three we might expect therefore in the summer of the great year or cycle of climate that there would be a predominance of tree ferns and plants allied to genera now called tropical in the islands of the wide ocean while many forms now confined to arctic and temperate regions or only found near the equator on the summit of the loftiest mountains would almost disappear from the earth then might those genera of animals return of which the memorials are preserved in the ancient rocks of our continents the pterodactyle might flit again through the air the huge iguanodon reappear in the woods and the ichthyosaurs swarm once more in the sea coral reefs might be prolonged again beyond the arctic circle where the whale and the narwhal now abound and droves of turtles might begin again to wander through regions now tenanted by the walrus and the sea but not to indulge too far in these speculations i may observe in conclusion that however great during the lapse of ages may be the vicissitudes of temperature in every zone it accords with this theory that the general climate should not experience any sensible change in the course of a few thousand years because that period is insufficient to affect the leading features of the physical geography of the globe notwithstanding the apparent uncertainty of the seasons it is found that the mean temperature of particular localities is very constant when observations made for a sufficient series of years are compared yet there must be exceptions to this rule and even the labours of men have by the drainage of lakes and marshes and the felling of extensive forests caused such changes in the atmosphere as greatly to raise our conception of the more important influence of those forces to which in certain latitudes even the existence of land or water hill or valley lake or sea must be ascribed if we possessed accurate information of the amount of local fluctuation in climate in the course of twenty centuries it would often undoubtedly be considerable certain tracts for example on the coast of holland and of england consisted of cultivated land in the time of the romans which the sea by gradual encroachments has at length occupied here at least a slight alteration has been effected for neither the distribution of heat in the different seasons nor the mean annual temperature of the atmosphere investing the sea is precisely the same as that which rests upon the land in those countries also where earthquakes and volcanoes are in full activity a much shorter period may produce a sensible variation the climate of the great tableland of malpais in mexico must differ materially from that which prevailed before the middle of the last century for since that time six mountains the highest of them rising sixteen hundred feet above the plateau have been thrown up by volcanic eruptions it is by the repetition of an indefinite number of such local revolutions and by slow movements extending simultaneously over wider areas as will be afterwards shown that a general change of climate may finally be brought about 
End of chapter 7, part 2